Welcome to the Cup of Cat podcast. My name is Cat, and yes, I am another 20 something year old who thinks podcasting is a good idea. We're all navigating this insane life together, and I want to be able to share my experience with you as well as have conversations with others in hopes to create a space of positivity, learning, and growing together. I also want to use this as an opportunity to hold myself accountable for the things that I'm doing. I feel like your 20s is such a time of change and so many things are going on at the same time. So I actually want to stick to the things that I want to do and I want to report back to you and let you know how they're going. So if that all sounds good, grab a cup of whatever makes you feel good and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode and listening today. Uh, I have a very dear friend of mine, Tom, joining me today. He is a friend, a English extraordinaire, a conversationalist and British. <laughs> so welcome, Tom. Thank you so much for joining today. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me on, Kat. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm absolutely fine. I'm really excited to uh to be part of the cup of cat, to be a to be a drop in the cup. I'm really excited. <laughs> very, very happy to have you here. I mean, we've been friends for a really long time and we've been speaking about doing podcasts and things for ages. And so I'm really glad we finally get to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've been looking forward to it for a long time and uh, I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get into a little bit of your story because I feel like you have a very sort of interesting story and I feel like you've come a really long way in the time that I've known you. And sort of, I met you very much in the sort of middle of your journey. And now you've come out on the other side and you're, I don't know, you're just doing so well. But I want to kind of start at the beginning. So you had this pilonidal sinus. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that experience for a second. And where you were, how did this happen? And what was going through your head at the time when you got something like this? Did you expect it to be such a big thing? Give us some more clarification on that. Absolutely. Well, um, it all started when I would have been about 21, which is the um, sort of the average age for this kind of thing to happen. This is uh, for people listening, for, especially for guys, but it can happen to, to women too, and it often does. I don't want anyone to like freak out like, oh gosh, this could happen to me. But at the same time, be aware that it could, so look out for it. It's very common. I've got a lot of friends who are medics and who are doctors and who are surgeons and things. And um, they all know about this as this sort of unsung hero of the uh, nasty conditions to suddenly get world. So what happened was I was 21 and I was at university and I found one day something like a, like a basically like a pimple, like a zit right at the, uh, and there's no real delicate way to put this. Um, at the sort of the cleft of my cheeks, if you if you if you understand, right at the right at the top where you know the back becomes the booty, right there, yeah. a small subtle pimple, nothing out of the ordinary. Little did I know that this wasn't a pimple at all. This was the beginning of my very own pilonidal sinus nightmare. So I, thinking it was a pimple, left it which is, um, in any medical textbook you can read, is the single worst thing you can do with most conditions. <laughs> and it turns major conditions into, into terminal ones and minor conditions into major ones. And that's what happened with me. So I, thinking that it was just a, something that would go on its own, left it. But it got bigger and it got painful. And it got to the point, and this will get graphic, it got to the point where um, it was basically like leaking fluid and I would have to like squeeze and drain it myself a couple times a day 
And I just kept thinking, this will go away on its own. I don't want to see a doctor. It's too weird. It's too awkward. It's too embarrassing. It's too whatever. So I left it. I left it. And I thought it was a, a skin thing, you know? I thought it was surface level. But the thing about these pineal sinuses is they absolutely are not. When you think sinus, you think of your sinuses in your nose, your sinus cavities. They get inflamed when you get a cold, you know? Sinus is just the medical term for a, a cavity inside the body. And what happens is you start off with a, a very simple, innocent, pure, humble, little ingrown hair with big ambitions of uh, becoming something bigger and something better. And if you leave it, it just basically tunnels. And what happened in my case was this thing tunneled deep. It tunneled like the Viet Cong, you know, it went deeper and deeper into me, unbeknownst to me, until eventually it got to the point where I had to go and get it seen. Now, I'm quite lucky because my sister is a doctor, fully fledged, certified and qualified up the wazoo. And she was and has been a great help with it. She took me to get seen. And uh, the first step was antibiotics to try and clear the infection, but that didn't work. And repeated weapons-grade antibiotic courses basically didn't work. And it got to the point where I had to have surgery. I had to have it excised, which is where they make a very precise, very delicate cut with a scalpel. And then they take an ice cream scoop and just, you know, take the whole thing out, you know. What they what started off as like a sort of a pimple-sized thing in my sort of ostrich head in the sand time became the size of a I don't know if you know what a butter bean looks like, that kind of size. The cavity that this thing left was big. Mm. Uh, all in all, if uh, the only thing I could think of that's the equivalent, and I've, I've I've tried to find a better example, the same kind of volume that a a your average shot glass would would fill. So quite a quite a bit, hey. Mm. And that was taken out of me and left open. The, the the way they deal with these kinds of things once they get deep enough is look, we can't stitch you up because will be literally creating another another sinus. This thing is too wide, it's too deep. So they leave it open. They they do what's called laying it open, the thinking being that it will it will heal itself from the inside gradually and sort of fill. New tissue will proliferate, fill the cavity, and then, you know, about a month later you're good to go. But as you can probably guess from the fact that I'm here being interviewed about my journey. Uh, like an X Factor contestant, it wasn't that simple for me, hey. And how far along were you from where you first noticed the pimple to when you got your first surgery? How? What was the time frame there? Tricky to say, Kat. Um, it was a very long time ago. This was in 2016. Okay. So this was pre-Trump. This was pre-Brexit. This was pre-a lot of things. It was at the end of uni and then... So it was probably about, about two months that I left it, basically which was, it could have been three. That's not a very long amount of time, though, when you think about, like, you know, just things happening. Three months is not that long. It's not like you've left it for a year and it got this bad. It, you know, it progressed pretty quickly. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just lucky, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you had your first surgery. And what was that? You, did you stay home? What happened? What, what went on after that? Yeah, it was horrific. It was my first ever operation, my first ever proper visit to a hospital. And uh, before all this, I was very hospital phobic anyway. So um, I really hated the operation. 
having it and the, the following two days I spent in hospital afterwards. It really wasn't a long stay. They sort of, they're keen to get you out of there as quickly as possible. The nasty thing was in the day after my operation, they had to, they had to pack it, which involves taking a length of sterilized cottony stuff and, and forcing it in the way that you would one of those collapsible tents that you really don't care about. You just want to stuff it in the bag so you can put it in the boot and drive home. You don't care if it comes out torn or whatever. They just, you know, so some poor nurse like putting her entire weight onto this open wound. And if you've ever had like a cut on your finger and you accidentally press it and it hurts, like imagine that, but it's a lot bigger and it's um, some poor NHS nurse's entire body weight on it. Really unpleasant, really horrific. But um, after two days of fairly moderate pain, an extreme sort of emotional and sort of, I guess you could say psychological distress from being in the hospital. Um, I was sent home thinking that was the end of it. Uh, we all sort of sat on our hands waiting for this thing to heal by itself, to fill in. As I mentioned, I had to have nurses come and visit the house every day to change the dressing. So that horrific experience of that nurse um pile driving cotton wool into me um that was a daily thing for the following fortnight i suppose and they gradually moved these nurse visits further and further apart but this um this thing of having dressings and having bandages on me became a regular part of my life for the next um three years yeah because i i met you in 2018 and it wasn't even really close to being over yet. At what point did it sort of become a realization or a reality that this wasn't going to go away? There were there were regularly scheduled doctor's appointments with my surgeon following the operation to check on the progress of this process of healing from within. Um, that sounds very Disney, doesn't it? And uh, basically, we didn't see any progress. It got to the point where it just completely halted. It's difficult to recall exactly how long that was, but within the year, I was under the knife again. The procedure that they had to attempt to try and kickstart this thing's healing, scraping it out to try and encourage the um, the flesh to start growing again. It was the biomedical equivalent of turning it off and on again. Mm-hmm. And overall, I had that done uh, twice following my first uh, operation. So... It just, it basically wasn't healing quickly at all. It was incredibly slow to heal to the point where I was tested for diabetes because mm. diabetic, you, you you have a very slow sort of healing factor. No, healing factor, that's Wolverine. Um, you, you, you heal from wounds very slowly. Yeah. And it got where they thought, well, there has to be something else going on here because no way is this guy taking this long. But um, it turns out I was taking that long. Yeah. I had no one to blame but myself. Um, I just wasn't healing. And did you ever find out why you weren't healing, or was it just one of those things? No, never conclusively. Never conclusively. By the end of this, we tried something which we'll get into, I'm sure, which worked. And normally, if you if you have something that doesn't work, and then you find something where it does, you can deduce from that what was going wrong. But frankly, we, my my family, my medical friends, my sister. We are all still scratching our heads, wondering why exactly my body struggled with this so much. I, I was eating very well, very well. We tried diets. We tried things. You know, it wasn't any kind of vitamin or, or mineral deficiency. We really did try to counter that kind of stuff as much as we could. 
we just have no idea. The only conclusion that we can sort of confidently draw, really, is that God hates me. <laughs> maybe things happen for a reason. Maybe maybe God just hates you. <laughs> maybe I, I am your that. punishment. <laughs> so somewhere in between all of this, you were in Japan at some point. How does that fit into the timeline? Yeah, well, this is the thing. We throughout by the second operation after the second operation we were like you know well this is going to heal it's just taking its time after leaving university i i got something called a celta which for those of you who don't know which i imagine is most people it's not a glamorous or famous thing it's a qualification for teaching english as a second language i got the qualification and then following that i applied for a program run by the japanese government to uh, work in schools in Japan as an English teacher. Mm. I applied, I got it, and the whole time I was biting my nails, fingers and toes with nerves because I was thinking, you know, God, am I going to zip up in time? And I was assured by my uh, by my GP and my surgeon and my nurses that I would. So not, not a bother, but here's, um, here's a few dozen adhesive bandages and some Manuka honey to stuff in your suitcase carry-on and jacket pockets for you to sort yourself up while you're out there. And of course, while you're out there eating all of that sushi and drinking all that green tea, you'll you'll, you'll heal right up and zip up, no problem, hey? Um, I left for Japan in 2017 and had a right old time. It was absolutely fantastic. I, I lived in a place called Kochi, which is on the island of Shikoku. It's a very unsung part of Japan. It's not at all uh, famous or glamorous in any way. It's not connected to anywhere else by the bullet train. It's really quite out of the way. If you're British, it's the Carlisle of Japan. If you're not British, it's just a sort of rural sort of, you know, town that is famous for what used to happen there, you know. I lived there for six months. It was fantastic. I originally wanted to be there for five years, but by Christmas 2017, when I was visiting home, I guess it was the the air travel that did it, sitting for so long. I got this raging infection in the wound, which was intolerably painful. And uh, it was on that Christmas holiday when I was at home with my family, having left my life in Japan temporarily, when I realized that I would actually have to abandon those goals and those ambitions and those dreams entirely because I needed medical attention in the UK. I didn't want to have these operations done in Japan because I thought, you know, I just got pessimistic and I thought this is going to be another thing of, of months and months of, of, of waiting and slow healing and slow progress. And I wouldn't want to be in a hospital where, where with such a vicious language barrier as you get as, a, as an English speaker in Japan. And so I had to make a really, really difficult decision. Uh, well, it wasn't a difficult decision, but it, it sucked to deal with which was I basically had to stop my time in Japan six months in, which was, you know, felt like no time at all, and come back to the UK a broken man, you know? <laughs> well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, you've got your whole support system in the UK as well, and, you know, coming back home, you feel a little bit more safe and a bit more secure, but you are putting this goal of yours on hold and your, you know, your life on hold, essentially. You know, you've created relationships and you've met people while in Japan, and you have to put all of that on hold as well. I would say it was more than on hold because this program is such a difficult thing to get on that I was I was cancelling it. There wasn't going to be any way that I would be able to pick up where I left off. This was it. This was the end. This wound 
had at the time this wound had robbed me of the career and the life that I had um, worked so hard to carve out for myself, and it was really, it was really, really difficult. Yeah. To to um to face and to accept and to to deal with the what Brits we call it character building, which is a lovely yeah. British English. Um, it's how we pronounce the word bloody awful basically yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it was it was really rough and it you know it really sort of broke me down and knocked me down quite a few pegs thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and listen to what i have to say and listen to my podcast i really appreciate that i love you so very very much if you liked what you listened to please give me a five star rating or a thumbs up on whatever platform you're listening to and if you'd like to support this podcast please consider subscribing or following again on whatever platform you're listening to i appreciate you i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and i'll chat to you soon 